0: Good morning. It's nice to see all of you. Uh, let me start by thanking Brant. I know this is like me and Brant going back and forth, but thanking Brant for, for letting me do this. Um, it's, a, it's a joy to, to be here with you. Um, I know some of your faces, I can't see any of your faces, but I, I know some of your faces, but not all of you. As Brant said, my name is John. Um, and my wife, Sarah, is sitting over there. You can hardly see her. She's waving. And, and my two boys are out in, I think, screen six. Um, out there, uh, we usually worship at South Vancouver, um, but it is a joy to be with you this morning. Um, as I'm sure most of you are aware, all three of our neighbourhood churches are going through the Book of First Corinthians together. In fact, we we align our sermon series together, um, and that's that's great for me because I, even though I'm missing church uh, in South Vancouver, I, we don't get to miss you know where we're at in the series. You know, I don't get to miss anything now. Um, I thought it'd be worth beginning by locating us a little bit in the letter Um, because our verses today mark what could be described as the end of a section, the end of a specific topic. Um, In chapters one to four, the author, Paul, uh, he's been circling around. He's been addressing a particular problem in the church in Corinth. And so this is our, our last week in, in First Corinthians. You're going to have an Advent series. We're going to have a nice break over Advent. And then you're going to be going back in the new year into a, a new topic that Paul is going to be addressing. So in the new year, you're going to be talking about sexual immorality. So happy new year. Um, but today we're dealing with what might be described as the closing comments on this, on this first problem. And the problem, as you'll know, because you've been studying this, is, is division in the church. It's division in the church. And it's division that has principally been brought about as a result of the culture of Corinth infiltrating the church. The culture of the city infiltrating the church. So, so Corinth as a city is it, a place that loves pagan philosophy. It lives off of pagan philosophy. It loves worldly wisdom. And so the church has become a place that loves worldly wisdom, that lives off of worldly wisdom. The city, Corinth, is is a competitive place. It's it's a dog-eat-dog city. And so the church has become a competitive place. It's a dog-eat-dog church. Corinth was a place of pride and of boasting, of status grabbing and of ladder climbing. And so too, the church has become a place to jostle for power and status and esteem. One way to say it might be that the Corinthian Christians have become more Corinthian than Christian. And as Christians in Vancouver today, chapters 1 to to 4 should provoke in us a question. Are the Vancouver Christians more Vancouver than Christian? Let me ask you, as, as Christ City Kitsilano, are the Kitsilano Christians More Kitsilano than Christian. What we're going to see from our verses today is that Paul is going to be a loving pastor. He's going to be a loving pastor to the church, but it might not sound like love because this love is going to come in the form of a fatherly rebuke. He's going to challenge them. And I think this challenge should rightly challenge us. We should hear the Apostle Paul's stern words. We should hear the force of his rhetoric. So here's how I want to frame things today. I want to follow the logic of the text. We're going to follow through the text and, and look at three ways in which Paul wants to reshape and reform the Corinthian Christians to look more Christian than Corinthian. And so the three points today are these. One: the gifts of Christ. Two. The imitation of Christ, and three, not as punchy, the imitation of fathers in Christ. The gifts of Christ, the imitation of Christ, and the imitation of fathers in Christ. So, first, the gifts of Christ. In verse six, Paul writes this I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? One of the evidences that we've seen... In, uh, of the Corinthian culture infiltrating the church is, is that they were divided over the leaders that they were associating with, right? You, you'll have heard this on repeated refrain throughout our series. I follow Apollos, I follow Paul. And in response to this us and them paradigm that they're living in, Paul is going to say, no, 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 no. Me and Apollos, we're actually on the same team. We're we're, we're both, all of us, all the apostles, we're just servants of God. And ironically, when you say, I follow Apollos, I follow Paul, you divide over it, become arrogant over one and another, you're, you're not following us at all. Ironically, you're not following us at all. And so Paul says, rather than dividing over us, how about you learn by us? Rather than dividing over us, how about you learn from us? How about you actually follow us rather than just saying, I follow Paul? And so a question to ask is, what what does Paul want them to learn? What does he want to see? Well, I think the first thing he wants to show them is hidden within the questions he's going to ask them. He's going to ask them a set of questions in response to their arrogance, he's going to ask them these questions and he's going to show them something through these questions. You know, sometimes the best way to point something out to someone who maybe can't see or won't see is to ask them a question. You know that. And what happens is the answer is provoked within them. Right? They, they come to the answer. it's like a... So what does Paul say in verse 7? For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Who sees anything different in you, he says. What's the implied answer there? What's the implied answer? The implied answer is nobody. Nobody sees anything different in you. You're boasting about these things, but when we look at your life, when we examine your lives, we can't see anything different about you and them. What do you have that you did not receive what's the implied answer the implied answer is nothing nothing you don't have anything that you didn't receive all you have has been given to you and so to summarize behind paul's questions he's saying this you don't actually have a lot to boast in but even what you do have is gift it's been graciously given to you. So what's, what's happening here? Well, I think the, the Corinthians, having been formed and shaped by the city, have missed really the most fundamental thing about their Christian faith. They've missed something so simple yet so profound. They've missed grace. Grace. They've missed grace. They've missed the unmerited favor of God. They've missed the undeserved provision of God. They've missed that everything that they have, everything that we have is grace, is gift. And Christ is easy for us, isn't it? To forget this too on occasion. You know, we, we live in a city that is built on meritocracy. Is built on, on earning your place in the world. A place where you're defined by your achievements. You're defined by your status and your esteem within the community. You're defined by how much you have over and above other people. Or maybe you're defined by how little you have under other people. It's easy for us when we swim in those waters in this city to forget the fundamental truth of of existence, that everything that we have is grace, it's given, it's gift. New Testament scholar Gordon Fee puts it like this. This is an invitation to experience one of those rare, unguarded moments of total honesty, where in the presence of an eternal God, one recognizes that everything, absolutely everything, one has is a gift. Everything. Christ said to you, let's let's begin this morning by considering our lives. Maybe maybe we need to take a an unguarded moment of total honesty. Consider your life. Consider the very breath in your lungs this morning. It's gift been given to you you didn't earn it consider your salvation the very fact that you Christians have been reconciled to God what do we read this morning in Ephesians 2 by grace you have been saved through faith and what this is not your own doing what is it it's a gift it's a gift Consider your gifts and your talents. It's in the name, gift. You know, as I've been preparing for this sermon, um, this is the thing that's really hit me. It's really simple, uh, but it's transformative. It's transformative. It's like, it's, it is like a paradigm shift. It's like seeing the world differently differently. Everything changes when you realize that everything has been given. Your whole life changes when you realize the grace of God on your life. And Paul knows that that it is impossible for pride to grow in the soil of grace. He's challenging their pride with this fundamental truth of grace, of gift. It's impossible for pride to grow. In the soil of grace. And maybe, maybe if, you, if you sense any arrogance in yourself. Moments when you, when you think, I, I, I'm better than other people. Or maybe it's just me, whoever thinks that. Maybe you've forgotten grace. Maybe you've forgotten that all that you have has been given freely, graciously, not because you deserve it. So point one this morning, simple, but I think profound. It may be the one thing that you take with you this week that, that will transform your entire way of seeing things. Are The gifts of Christ, Paul begins by reminding them that everything, everything, everything is given. So point one, the gifts of Christ. Point two, the imitation of Christ. This is the real bulk of our text this morning. From verse 8, Paul begins to do something. He begins to compare the lives of the Corinthian church and the lives of the apostles. And to be frank, it's a pretty stark difference. There's a big difference. There's a chasm in between them. He says this, Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, But when I read these verses, my first response is I would much prefer the Corinthian life than the apostle life. Like like this, this isn't getting put on the brochure to becoming an apostle, right? Come and be an apostle. This is what you get. Maybe you're new to Christianity this morning and you're thinking, man, this guy is really not selling this thing. <laughs> Sounds like Paul's having a terrible time, doesn't it? So, so what's, what's Paul getting at? Why is Paul saying this? Well, I think to understand the text, it's helpful for us to know what Paul is responding to, right? This is a correspondence with the church in Corinth. And in Corinth, apparently, there was a saying that was going around. There was, there was almost like a, a slogan that was, that was the slogan of the day, and it said this, I alone am rich. I alone reign as king. You can imagine that the the Corinthians had this printed on a t-shirt, right? I alone am rich. It's like Nike. I alone am rich. I alone reign as king. It was was a phrase of the day that summarized the philosophy of the day. It summarized one of the worldly philosophies this, this self-seeking way of life. I alone am rich. I alone reign as king. And you can hear if you listen, Paul is echoing this back to them. Can you, can you hear? Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. What Paul is saying is, I've heard about the mess in your church. I've heard about the division. I've heard about the arrogance. And now I can hear where it's coming from. You guys have bought the T-shirts, haven't you? And maybe this is why you look and sound just like the city. But more to the point, it's the reason you don't look and sound at anything like Jesus. You don't look and sound anything like Jesus. Jesus. You see, what's happened was that the success metrics of the city had made their way into the church. They have become the same metrics of success in church. But interestingly, by those measures, the apostles are failures. The apostles didn't measure up. Oh, that we would reign with you. He's being sarcastic, by the way. The apostle Paul being sarcastic. It happens. Paul holds up their lives side by side and begs the question, which one of us looks more like Jesus? Which one of us looks like Jesus? Which one of us looks like the city? This is a challenge for us this morning. If we were to have our lives held up, written down, would, we, would they look like the one we claim to follow? Christ City, do you look like Jesus? Do you look like Jesus? Or do you look like everyone else in Kitsilano? Now... Maybe a practical question at this point is, is to ask, okay, John, uh, we're supposed to look like Jesus. Uh, what do you mean by that? We're supposed to look like Paul looks like Jesus? You want, you want us to be, be homeless and hungry? You want us to be poor and, God forbid, poorly dressed? What are you asking of me this morning, John? Well, let me show you two ways from the text that I think Paul imitates Christ. Two ways from the text that I think Paul imitates Christ. The first is, Paul imitates Christ by willingly sharing in his suffering. By willingly sharing in his suffering. You see, Paul knew that if Jesus experienced mocking and and abuse, then as a follower of Jesus, he could expect mocking and abuse, surely. As a disciple of Jesus, he could expect the same. He knew that if, if Jesus was dishonored, he knew that as a follower of Jesus, he too would experience dishonor. He knew that, that just as Jesus would be raised up on a cross as a spectacle, exhibited as a spectacle before the world, he too, as a follower of Jesus, could expect you know there's a reason jesus tells us to count the cost there's a reason he tells us to count the cost before we follow him because when we align ourselves with christ we are willingly embracing uh, embracing sharing in his suffering Now, now I know, I know that there's degrees to this. There's there's degrees to which we share in his suffering, but, but it's an expectation of the Christian life that we will share to some degree in his suffering. If he was dishonored, expect that there will be times when you're dishonored in Jesus' name. If he was mocked, Expect that there will be times that you will be mocked in Jesus' name. You know, every year, Christ City supports a company called Crisis Pregnancy Center. Um, it provides support for women who are struggling through unplanned uh, pregnancies. And um, I drive past their, their um, storefront, their, their shop, the location of their offices, and it is graffitied over repeatedly. You know, in, in 2022, when you get into the sexual immorality stuff, Brandt is going to come and preach faithful, biblical, sexual ethic. And you know what? He's going to be hated for it. He's going to be hated for it. You know that if when you, when you preach stuff like that faithfully, that if, if, if your colleagues at work ever caught wind Of what was being shared, when we align with Christ, there's gonna be a sharing in his suffering. The second way Paul imitates Jesus is that when he suffers, he imitates Jesus in how he suffers. Look at this from verse 12: When reviled, we bless when persecuted, we endure, when slandered, we entreat. Now these words of Paul, they almost mirror Peter's words when speaking of the suffering of Jesus. Peter says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. You see, it's not just that we face trials as Christians in aligning ourselves with Jesus it's not that not just that we face trials it's that we face trials differently as Christians we face suffering differently we face persecution differently when reviled we bless when persecuted we endure because Jesus when he was reviled he did not revile in return It's not just that we face trials as Christians, it's that we face trials differently as Christians. And let me encourage you, when you're ostracized at work for something that you believe and you respond with grace and patience, you're imitating Christ. When you hold your tongue, when you could say something, but you hold your tongue for the sake of of peace and entrust yourself to the one who judges justly, You're imitating Christ. Christ City Paul wants to show us that following Jesus means following Jesus. Following Jesus means following Jesus. Now at this point, I, I want to pause and just be clear about something. Because it's important that I say that there's a reason why point one comes before point two. There's a reason why the gifts of Christ come before the imitation of Christ. And and simply put, the reason for that is because we can't imitate Christ without the gift of Christ. Jesus doesn't call us to follow him and then go, see ya, good luck. Jesus calls us to follow him and then pours out his spirit on the church. You're not expected to squeeze as hard as you can to produce the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> so the order is this, the gifts of Christ, the, the, the gracious gifts of Christ, and then the imitation of Christ. So point one, the gifts of Christ. Point two, the imitation of Christ. Point three, the imitation of fathers in Christ. As I said, not as punchy bit disappointed with it. This point might sound strange and, and out of place, but, but look with me at verse 14 and, and I'll try and explain. Paul writes this, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. Now, when we read our text today, um, the whole chunk of the text that we're going through, as you go through it, maybe in your community groups, I think it's easy to think that Paul is harsh. You know, he's being sarcastic. he's, He's mocking them. But I think these closing verses show us his heart. They show us that he deeply, deeply loves them. He cares for them. He cares for their growth. He cares for their good. He's passionate about their good. And and these words, these cutting words are supposed to cut them, but not not like the wounds wounds of of, of a weapon, but but cut them and restore them like, like the scalpel of a surgeon. Now, there's a lot we can say about these final uh, verses. But I think the thing that I find interesting, the thing that I wanted to share from these verses, and the thing that, uh, that stands out to me is, that, is what he urges them to do. What does he urge the Corinthians to do after explaining all of these things, after detailing his life and how, how he's become the scum of the world? He says, imitate me imitate me. Now this is funny to me. It's funny to me because, because my British sensibilities finds that arrogant, right? That he's having a go at them for their arrogance. And then he goes, imitate me. And I'm like, oh, Paul, I would never do that. Imitate me. Now, maybe we could say that, that this is the Apostle Paul, and let's face it, he's kind of a big deal in the old Christian circles. Fair play, he's a pretty good guy. Maybe Paul can be so bold as to say, imitate me, but, but we, we would not dare say that. Why? Because, well, you know, the arrogance thing. So Paul can say it, but it would be unbecoming of us to say it. No, 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 I don't think so. I don't think so. I I think Paul here is modeling something appropriate for Christian discipleship and the way in which the church is supposed to operate. I think Paul here is modeling something appropriate for Christian discipleship and the way in which the church is supposed to operate. You see, if you follow the logic of this text, Paul has held up his life and shown just how much his life looks like Jesus. And now he says, just as I am imitating Jesus, you should imitate me. In fact, later on in chapter 11, he's going to say this explicitly. He's going to say the very same words, imitate me. But then he's going to say, as I imitate Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Christ. And I think this illustrates something for us. I think it illustrates the fact that that while our faith is passed along from generation to generation through the teaching that is derived from the scriptures, right? Our faith is passed on through the scriptures. This teaching is always accompanied. It is brought to life by, it is given shape by the people that live the Christian life faithfully. You know, there's a reason why Paul says to Timothy in First Timothy, watch your life and doctrine. Watch what you teach and how you live, because those things they complement one another. Doctrine is, a, is an explanation of the gospel. Your life, church, your life, that's you. Your life is an illustration of the gospel. what's interesting about our text today is that Paul doesn't only send this letter, right? There's a letter correspondence, but he doesn't only send this letter, but he sends Timothy, who is his beloved and faithful child in the Lord. Why does he send him? To remind them of his ways in Christ. He sends an embodiment of his teaching. You know, I remember my, When I was growing up, my parents had a community group. All familiar with community groups here? And uh, for the first half of it, I was allowed and then I had to go to bed. But um, this group, I have to say, was the weirdest collection of people you (laughs) could ever imagine. Maybe you can relate. It was, it was a strange group. There was a guy in this group called Mike who he had brain surgery and they, they chopped out a big part of his brain and uh, he would let us kids put our hands in the hole in his head. <laughs> yeah. This guy, Mike, was crazy. He, as a prank, he would take out his teeth during prayer and put it in other people's tea. <laughs> it was, we loved Mike. Other people, not so much, you know? You know what I thought about this group? Why in the world do my parents hang out with these people? (laughs) Why in the world? I mean, my parents are a little bit quirky, but they don't Mike quirky, you know? Every week, we had a house full of people that needed extra patience and extra grace. you know I'd I'd watch my parents and to this day the way that they loved those people it showed me Jesus you know they would teach me the gospel they would point me to the scriptures but the way they loved those people it taught me Jesus it showed me Jesus it brought the text to life I was talking to Sarah this week and she reminded me of a wedding that we went to uh, back in London. And it was this stunning wedding, like no expense spared wedding. And it's because uh, the, the bride at the wedding was was aristocracy. Now, in the UK, that's a big deal. Like her dad is a lord, which I won't go into it, but it's a big deal. And what it meant was, there was uh, they, they got married in, in a really famous church in the, in the middle of, of London. And uh, they actually had a famous preacher come and do their, do their they didn't ask me. <laughs> they had a famous preacher come and do the, the, the wedding and, and, um, and they had their reception in this really swanky um, London restaurant. The, the takeaway that, that we had from that wedding though, was not all of that, it was, it was the people that they invited. You see, this couple, they had spent their lives working with the marginalized. They spent their lives working with um, youth from broken homes, with people in severe financial debt and helping them get out of debt, people um, who are recovering from addiction. And what it meant was most of the guests at this wedding looked simultaneously out of place and really happy to be there. It showed me Jesus. What a picture of the gospel. And so Christ City, how will the new person coming here today? Learn the ways of Jesus. How will the children growing up in this community learn the ways of Jesus? You know, they're definitely going to have it explained to them really, really well. You've got Brandt as a pastor. He's going to explain it really, really well. But it's on the community. It's on the community to illustrate it for them to bring it to life, to give it shape, to show them Jesus. This is the challenge that I want to leave you with today. But I want to I end with an encouragement. Because when I hear Paul say, imitate me, and then I recognize that this is maybe a, a model for discipleship in which we imitate Christ and then people see our lives and we can call them imitate us as we imitate Christ, I can feel like someone's just put a great old weight on my shoulders. Like when I, when I I've explained this point and and you like the stories maybe, but but you feel like, man, this guy's just put a big old weight on my shoulders. I I do not live the exemplary Christian life. When when Sarah was pregnant with our first child, we found ourselves in a conversation with uh, a couple that had five teenage kids who were all doing relatively well in life. And so we were like, oh, let's get some advice. I remember asking to the to the dad I was speaking to, I said, look, um, what's the one piece of advice? Like everyone's giving us advice because that's what happens when you're just about to have kids. Everyone gives you advice. Um, but I want to know from you. What's the one piece of advice that you would have for us? And the dad said, without skipping a beat, he said, they will do what you do more than what you say. They will do what you do more than what you say. <laughs> They're going to see your life. And so if they see a, uh, your life and doctrine not measuring up, not aligning. And you know I thought? Whoa, big weight. <laughs> I was like, I was, I was terrified enough. As as I've thought about the gospel, as I've thought about the the goodness of our God, I've realized something. You know, what we're called to share is not our strengths. It's our weakness. What we're called to display is not our own uh, goodness. It's the goodness of God in us. You know, if we miss that first point, if we miss the grace of God in our lives if we miss that actually all that we have to bring to the equation is our brokenness you can communicate the gospel as much to this community and as much to your children in your repentance you know one of the ways that my dad taught me the gospel is he said sorry he said sorry he was contrite Christ you. and we're not called to show people how good we are. We're, we're called to show people how good Jesus is. Let me let me pray. Oh, heavenly Father, we are so grateful for how you have loved us in Jesus. We're grateful for how you have resourced us in Jesus. You have graciously given us all things, and that you call us to imitate your Son. But to imitate him not just in his his suffering, but also that we might align with his life. Lord, we're grateful. We're grateful for those people in our lives that have embodied the gospel, that have shown us the gospel. Would you, by your spirit, empower this community to embody the gospel, to watch their life and doctrine? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.